everyone, it is Wednesday, January 17th, 2018, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. Uh, it's time to cover day one of the Detroit International, or well, I guess we call it the North American International Auto Show, the Detroit Auto Show for 2018, and uh, yes, I'm running way behind. I had a personal commitment in the city of Chicago that uh, took me away from some of these stories, so... Unfortunately, today we're going to do a couple of episodes of coverage, but uh, today we don't really have as much of a theme as we did for Day Zero, where a bunch of pickup trucks got announced. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the cars, crossovers, SUVs that got announced today, um, or at least for Day One. Uh, we'll kick things off with one of the most exciting vehicles that were announced at the show. Uh, that is, of course, the new, uh, the most recent uh, bullet edition Mustang, uh, from Ford. We'll talk a little bit about the VW Jetta, uh, actually maybe even the Toyota Avalon. We got a couple other things we can cross off the list as we go down the thing. So, uh, bear with me. We're going to cover things in a depth that maybe is enough. Maybe it isn't. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, we'll kick things off right with the bullet Ford Mustang. So, of course, we can't really talk about the Detroit Auto Show without talking about, well, one of the coolest things that was unveiled at the show this year. And that is, of course, the 2018 Ford Mustang Bullet Edition. You might just call it the Bullet Mustang. I don't know. It is the 50th anniversary of the 1968 release of Bullet, the cop drama, whatever, I don't know, action film uh, starring the legendary Steve McQueen, where he did all of his own stunts driving a now legendary 1968 Ford Mustang GT390. Um, that car itself, the Hero car, was actually found by Ford Motor Company uh, and purchased after a lengthy time of trying to search for the two main bullet Mustang cars. Um, it's there. It's at the show. It's standing next to the 2018 model. And, you know, you see a lot of the similarities when they're put up close to one another. Um, I think we could say a lot about how the new 2018 Mustang doesn't look as nice as the ones that came before it, um, but I think that's really kind of subjective. It looks fine, um, but with the Bullet Mustang, what you're getting is the choice of Highland Green, a dark green color that they only provide for the bullet trims these days. Um, you also have an option for black, but why would you buy a black Bullet Mustang? That doesn't really make any sense. You're getting full uh, trim designation deletion on the car. Um, no badging whatsoever of what it is. Uh, nothing in the grill, nothing on the sides. Um, there is, I guess, a badge on the back that does say bullet. But, you know, you're going to know it's a Mustang. And that's kind of the point. It looks like a Mustang. It is a Mustang. And that's that. On the inside, you get a full leather interior. There's the white uh, cue ball knob shifter like what was in the original Mustang from the film. Uh, it looks the part. Um, and it looks like this car is going to have some performance additions uh, added to it. It sounds like much like the previous vo versions of the Bullet Mustang, it does include some of the uh, performance packages that are offered on the Mustang GT standard. So I'm guessing it's going to, or not really guessing, you know, you're going to get the performance exhaust, you're going to get a little bit of a suspension tweak, summer tires, um, things like that. They're saying that uh, horsepower figures on this are somewhere around... 470 um, after the tweaks that happened to the Coyote, making it one of the most powerful naturally aspirated V8s sold on the market anymore these days. Um, the thing gets loud. I don't know if this one has the line lock that the GT has available, but it wouldn't surprise me. You got to do some really sick burnouts with this car, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a Mustang. You can't really get too angry about it. Um, 
I'm a big fan of the Bullet Mustangs from the past, the two versions previous to this. Varying degrees of success in making it look right. Uh, the original, the New Edge version, which I think was in the early 2000s, 2001 if I remember correctly, I think that has a little bit more of an iconic shape just because it's the New Age Mustang, uh, but, you know, they just hit the color right, they hit the timing right, the wheels, I mean, it just, it looks so good. The second one, which I think was based off of the DC whatever uh, Mustang, that one I think looked even more like the original uh, Bullet Mustang, but it lacked some of the soul that the 2001 version had, and this new one really seems to hit it out of the park and be the kind of the the perfect balance between those two cars. So I'm really excited to see this in person. Um, one thing I wish that they would have done is not done the black wheels that they've chosen for this car. I think it would have made more sense to get some kind of mag wheels for it, uh, but I'm guessing that was probably kind of expensive, and Ford probably didn't want to do something that would have added that much cost to the car, um, but it really would make the car look the part, and so I'm really wondering if people buy this Bullet Mustang if they're going to swap those wheels out right away or not. Uh, as far as other Mustang stuff goes, nothing too crazy. Um, you know, it's 2018, we're launching the new fascia on the car, um, so yeah, you get a color, you get a package, you get some trim deletion. All it really kind of goes back to is my point that I've been making ever since this new uh, international uh, fully independent rear suspension Mustang has uh, happened, and that's Ford. You gotta delete the badge designations on these cars, and that includes the pony off the front and the back of the car. It makes it look so much better, so much cooler. It really separates it from a lot of its competitors, and I just hope that Ford takes a note and says, maybe we should offer this as a thing to everybody else. We'll see. I'm not gonna get my hopes up, but it's a Mustang. So we finally got the 2019 Volkswagen Jetta officially unveiled, and it's a car. Um, I've been a longtime VW fan. I've owned a Jetta in the past. I've always been kind of watching the Jetta from afar, admiring what Volkswagen has been able to do, especially from the MK5 model forward. Uh, they've turned the Jetta kind of around, where at least with the MK3, that like as much as I like that car and I actually owned one, um, they kind of lost the ghost towards the end of that run. The initial run of the MK4 was more of a luxury compact car than it was, you know, a cheap uh, mode of transportation. Uh, the MK5 kind of turned things around. The MK6 as well. The MK7 was good. This new one is why? Well, or is this one technically the MK7? The classifications get weird on these Volkswagens, but more or less. The news is that this car is moving to the MQB platform, which is under everything at Volkswagen and Audi and Seat and everybody else in the uh, VAG group. Um, you're getting a car that, unfortunately, while taking some steps forward in terms of technology and comfort and, uh, you know, design, takes a few steps back when it comes to mechanical engineering. So MQB platform lauded for its, you know, uh, usability, uh, you know, its stiffness, its rigidity, uh, its performance capability. Volkswagen is unfortunately removing the multi-link rear suspension from the back in order to save money on the price of the car. 
Um, but they're going to be offering a standard 1.4 liter turbo engine. So they've dropped the 1.8 liter turbo, which is a kind of a disappointment. Um, but the 1.4 liter ended up making nearly as much power as the 1.8 by the time it was phased out. Um, so you've got about 150 horsepower in the car, a little over 200 pound-feet of torque, uh, if I remember correctly on that number. Uh, it's going to pull pretty hard. It's going to have a uh, fancy automatic transmission. You're still going to be able to get a manual gearbox. It's still going to drive like a VW, which means even with that shoddy rear suspension uh it'll still handle very well and i'm sure it'll ride very well because volkswagen knows how to tune a car that's fun to drive on the inside volkswagen is promising a lot more soft touch materials a lot more quality on the inside because that's where you spend the most amount of your time they've also increased the tech profile of the car quite a bit um, they are going to be offering the digital cockpit uh, which has been made available from audi and that's kind of filtered throughout the volkswagen group um, this one's going to be the first quote-unquote cheap car to get that as an option, but it's only going to be available on the SEL and the SEL premium trims. Um, it's not surprising that they would lock it away on these higher things, but Volkswagen's had a pretty good infotainment system available, at least for the last couple of years, and this car is no exception. It's going to have Android Auto and Apple CarPlay connectivity. Um, it sounds like a lot of that's going to be standard on the lower trims of the cars, which is always a good thing. Um, but really, you know, it, it looks like Volkswagen has just kind of made notes as to where other cars have failed, and whether that's rear seat legroom, headroom, uh, infotainment system capability, uh, material quality, things like that. This car really seems to shine. Style-wise, you know, you can make an argument that it looks like a Volvo. It definitely does. You can make an argument that it looks like its larger brother, the Eight Arton, Aiton, whatever, however they're pronouncing it, and it does. Um, I don't know. I, you know, Volkswagen is still reeling from the Dieselgate scandal, where you know their cars weren't passing emissions tests all over the world, and they were selling all these things on fuel economy and cleanliness. And yeah, you've got to make up for it somehow. And you know, I really regret the decision that they made to cut the rear suspension from the multi-link to the solid rear axle. Um, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. And they, you know, I've talked about how Volkswagen has floundered in the U.S. for well, what feels like two decades now. Well, I guess it really is two decades. Um, and this car is maybe the first major correction that we've had that seems like it's going down the right path. Um, pricing is going to be pretty cheap on this car. They're saying it's going to start under $19,000, which is comparatively pretty good to a car like the Honda Civic. Um, and it sounds like this is going to have more standard features available as well. So, We'll keep our eyes peeled. I'm interested to see what the reviews say on the car. I think a lot of people are going to lambast them for the rear suspension. And the good news is because the MQB architecture is so versatile, I'm willing to bet if people bitch enough, just like the last generation model, Volkswagen will eventually equip the multi-link rear suspension in the back after a couple years. We'll see. So this story is a little bit less about an automobile and more about a powertrain that we're going to start seeing more frequently, more than likely. Uh, Mercedes-AMG, Mercedes-Benz AMG, however they decide to designate this brand uh, as of late, has uh, taken the new 3-liter straight 6 uh, that's been debuting slowly in some Mercedes-Benz vehicles, and they've added a lot of power 
uh, and performance to this platform, which is very exciting to me as a fan of straight-six engines. Uh, the 53 engine takes the 3-liter straight-six. Uh, it adapts a few cool things where uh, it, the two turbochargers that are on it uh, already is using some Formula One tech that uses an electric turbine to pre-spool the engine to make sure that you're always on power, which is super freaking cool. But it's also adding a hybrid system similar to what Honda uses, their IMA system, that uh, goes in between the engine and the transmission of the vehicle and can add like an extra 20 horsepower to the car and like almost 200 pound-feet of torque seemingly instantly. Uh, so it's going to torque fill these kinds of cars and with the four-wheel drive systems that are going to be on these AMGs it is going to be like a kick in the back of the head uh, when this thing lights up and takes off. Um, these 53s sound like they're only going to be available at least for right now on the swoopy curvy editions of uh, current models available. So that would be the uh, CLS, uh, which is the E-Class sedan, but with a more coupe-like profile, as well as the E-Class coupe and the E-Class coupe cabriolet, so a convertible E-Class. Um, they're all kind of the same thing. They all kind of ride on the same platform. Um, it does make me wonder if Mercedes is going to offer the uh, 53 designation eventually on the E-Class or not. Um, of course, the E63 with its twin turbo V8 is the top dog in that lineup. Uh, but Mercedes is always kind of one of those brands that they find clever ways to do engineering. And without a doubt, their work on turbocharged engines has been some of the best work out there right now, especially as we continue to dip into a territory where it's looking like turbocharged V6s are eventually going to replace, or not even necessarily just V6s, turbocharged V6s and straight 6s are going to be replacing V8s, or what V8s we have are going to shrink from, well in the case of Mercedes, they shrunk from a 6.2 liter V8 down to a 4 liter V8 with twin turbos that make way more power than what the previous V8 made, uh, but still has greater fuel efficiency. Uh, it's just, it's incredible what they've done. Uh, AMG, of course, also has somehow found a way to make these engines sound wonderful, because normally when you turbocharge these engines, it takes away a lot of the uh, intake and exhaust sound that you would normally expect from the vehicle. But yeah, anyway, short little clip about this engine. I'm really curious to see how it's going to perform, uh, especially in light of the AMG 43s and the 63s, if it's going to sit in a nice middle ground, or if it's going to have its own kind of unique character. Knowing AMG, that's probably going to be the case. So I hate to end another segment by saying we'll see, but we will definitely see very soon, and I am very, very excited. So a bit of a departure from the AMG uh, 53 announcements is, of course, the 2019 Toyota Avalon. Uh, the Avalon is Toyota's long-selling, uh, really strong-selling, uh, semi-luxury full-size sedan um, that kind of emerged in the late 90s as an extension of the Camry and kind of like a sidestep from the Lexus ES, which is based on the Camry, um, kind of as a premium a uh, car that you could go out and, you know, comfortably sit yourself, your spouse, maybe your friends in the back, bring some golf clubs, or maybe some luggage in your commuting or traveling a very long distance, and just be quiet and comfortable and enjoy the ride. And the previous version, 
I liked quite a bit. Um, you know, it was definitely a little more relaxed, I think, than what people would have really wanted. Um, Toyota sold it as a first-class experience, like with literal airline, you know, commercials and stage girls and, you know, things like that. And, you know, they talked about how it had tons of legroom in the back and it was going to be like riding in first class. Uh, this new one seems to be a little bit sportier, sportier than that. Um, the exterior really has taken on some of the attitude that the new Camry has. Maybe not quite to the same extent as the Camry XSE, but nevertheless, it's got a little bit more of an edge to it that I think looks pretty good. Uh, the interior really takes a step up as well, kind of in a shocking way uh, for Toyota. Uh, the interior looks very Lexus-like, uh, at least in terms of materials and colors. Uh, the show car that they had was white, had a white exterior and a black and orange interior, and that was really cool. Um, it's got like this like kind of driver's cockpit look like the new Lexuses have that are inspired by the, uh, still inspired by the LFA, and this really kind of filters it down to the t uh, lower Toyota line. Um, what is kind of not changing here and changing a lot are the mechanical bits. Uh, the mechanical bits are what you expect from Toyota. It's a big V6 with a standard slushy automatic. Um, you know, it's interesting, of course, that Toyota is kind of maintaining course with the V6 powertrains while all of its competitors jump full force into two liter turbos and other various powertrain configurations. So good on you, Toyota, but also not so good on you. I don't know. Um, I don't think the older buyers who tend to buy cars like this would like a turbocharged four-cylinder, but the big V6 is always a good option. So it is what it is. What is changing, however, is Toyota is stepping back from their claim just a few short years ago that nobody's going to want Apple CarPlay or Android Auto integration in their cars, and it's only a distraction. Um, this is going to be the first Toyota that has Apple CarPlay integration with the Ntune 3.0 system. Uh, that's a pretty big leap for Toyota. I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people have been saying that for quite a long time that that was a bad choice to leave it out. Um, I think it's probably finally started to hurt their sales or they've seen that more people are making other choices because of that. Um, so I'm glad that the market has driven things away for Toyota, but I still think it's a bad idea to only offer offer, offer the Apple CarPlay. We'll see. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a car that's kind of leading the charge in a segment that doesn't really exist anymore. Of course, you know, the Lexus ES across the street is still one of the best-selling vehicles in the Lexus lineup. Um, maybe second, I think it's second only to the RX crossover. Um, I've always kind of been of the mindset that why would you ever buy a Lexus ES when the Avalon is just as good and it's much cheaper? Um, yeah, that I think that argument continues on. Um there's also the question of whether or not cars like these are even going to exist just a couple years down the road. Does the Avalon make it after this generation? It's hard to say. Uh, Hyundai pulled the plug in the Azira this year, um, which was probably the best competitor to this car, at least until the new uh, Buick LaCrosse debuted recently. Um, the Buick LaCrosse itself, you know, benefits from having a very good chassis underneath it with good powertrains and I think arguably better styling in some respects. Um, you know, that's always a, a personal choice, but I think the Buick just looks a little bit classier. Eh, I don't know. Uh, you know, there's the only real other competitor to those two vehicles, the Lexus, or excuse me, the Toyota and the uh, Buick, is the Kia 
uh, what they call it, the Cadenza, which of course is also a very highly stylized car in a very different way. I like the Kia quite a bit, but in the face of the K900, I don't know why it's still here, and even the Stinger too. I don't know. But the Avalon, very cool car for what it is. So again, a little bit of a departure. Um, still in the luxurious department, though. Uh, Acura announced the 2019 uh, RDX is coming back. Uh, it's a prototype, quote-unquote, right now at the show, but more or less it's production-ready. Um, this is going to be available later in 2018 uh, with a bunch of new choices being made. Um, Acura is returning to the 2-liter, 4-cylinder turbo powertrain setup that the original had uh, back in the early aughts. The original, to me, has always been kind of a sweet spot for small, sporty crossovers where it both looked the part, handled the part, and, you know, just was different in a cool way. And this is kind of doing it. Um, the generation that's replacing had a bigger V6, it had the stupid beak grill, um, it had a really just a mess of an interior. And this one is, you know, learning from those lessons. It's uh, applying the Vision Concepts uh, grill with big headlights, with the jewel headlights, um, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a good-looking crossover on the outside. It looks like Acura is paying attention, finally, with their design team. Um, as much as the new MDX, I don't think, takes well to this design language, the RDX really seems like it was a fit for it. Um, what you are getting uh, on the outside seems to translate mostly into the inside, uh, where you're getting a comfort-based interior that's still a little sporty. Um, it's got a dual screen set up with a screen, uh, you know, for the driver in between the speedometer and tachometer. It's got a big 10-inch uh, screen up top for the driver uh, infotainment system, uh, which is controllable by a touchpad in the center console that uh, Acura is at least saying it's one-to-one -one touch sensitivity. Uh, we'll see about that. Uh, Honda doesn't do very well with infotainment design, um, but I believe this can be overridden with uh, Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, which anybody should be doing anyway. But yeah, it's it's a well-laid-out cockpit that eliminates a lot of the clutter and crazy multiple screens that they had before. Uh, so I'm excited to see what they decide to do about that. On the performance front, like I said, it's a 2.0-liter turbo. It's the unit from the Honda Accord, which is, of course, based on the unit that's in the... Uh, uh, Honda Civic Type R. It's not going to be making 300 horsepower, but it's going to be making enough power to get this thing moving. It's also going to be mated to Acura's really well-regarded super-handling all-wheel drive uh, system. Uh, that system can move torque from front to back, left to right. Uh, so like if you're diving into a corner, it'll send power to the outside wheels to kind of get you to curve even harder around edges. Um, it's really bringing the RDX back to its sporty roots. Uh, what Acura also announced at this uh, event is that they're going to be bringing a uh, Type A model uh, to this, uh, or a Type, yeah, Type A. So this is going to be a uh, sportier version of the RDX that's going to have, you know, a little bit more of a body kit, bigger wheels, summer tires, more than likely a little bit of a... Uh, a little bit of a power bump, maybe a little bit more of an aggressive tune to the super handling all-wheel drive system. Um, that should be coming later this year. And then they also announced that they're going to be doing a Type S model for this, as well as Type S models for a bunch of their different vehicles again. Um, which, of course, guys, if you remember, the Type S models were Acura's more luxurious uh, comparative additions to the Type R's that were offered, well, by both Acura and Honda um, across the world. Um, 
yeah, it's exciting. It's it's exciting to see that Honda's kind of getting back into the luxury sport kind of nature where Acura was for a little while. Um, you know, just wind the clock back even like a decade and you can go back and find TLs, the TL Type S's that were, you know, really good performance sedans. Um, you know, I, it's a shame that we never got a Type S RDX for the original RDX. That would have been really cool. Um, you can go back to the uh, RSX Type S, um, which was a pretty interesting car. Uh, yeah, There's just a, a long history of these kinds of things. And the A-Spec, which I guess not the Type A, the A-Spec is the correct way to say that. Uh, the A-Spec's were pretty interesting as well. So, I don't know. A lot of cool things coming out of Acura. I'm glad they're kind of turned the ship around. Um, I'm interested to see how they end up tweaking more of their cars going forward, especially if the RDX is any indication of where things are going. It's an exciting time to be an Acura fan once again. So heading back down the product ladder, uh, talking about the 2019 Kia Forte. Um, Kia kind of surprised a lot of people by announcing a new Forte because we just got an updated Forte for 2017. Um, the Forte was, or is of course, their Honda Civic competitor. Uh, the Forte, at least for 2017, got a lot of really nice upgrades on the interior and exterior of the car uh, that carried into making a new hatchback version of the car, um, all of which have been really well-reviewed vehicles. Uh, they've got Pretty good two-liter four-cylinder powertrains. Uh, oh, pretty good automatic transmissions. There's turbocharged models that are really interesting that come in a 1.6-liter turbo or a two-liter turbo variant. Um, Kia is just making really good cars, and it surprised a lot of people that they announced a new Forte because the current Forte was already so good and it was already so fresh on everybody's minds. Uh, this new Forte is a little bit larger um, on the uh, rear seat space. It's got a bigger trunk. Um, it adds some refreshed interior appointments that definitely look a lot nicer and look more in line with what Hyundai and Kia are trying to do with their cars. Um, Kia did announce that they're making a, an 8-inch touchscreen standard on all trims of the uh, Forte going forward for 2019, I guess is the best way to say that. Uh, so... Yeah, like they've really increased the standard features on this car by really a large factor that I did not expect. Um, the interior really fixes one of the things that I hated about the previous Forte, and that was this weird bubble thing on the passenger side of the dashboard where it had like these sporty, curvy, bumpy things. Uh, so it gets rid of that. It just makes it look like a much nicer interior. Um, Exterior-wise, it looks like a Kia Stinger, which looks like it's going to be the new corporate face uh, for the brand. So uh, you've seen the Stinger, you've seen the Sorento, you kind of get an idea of what this thing's going to look like. Uh, Powertrain-wise, it's exactly the same thing for the most part. It's the 2.0-liter 147 horsepower engine. Uh, the new news, however, is that Kia is going to be adding a CVT to the lineup. So the Sentra has a CVT, the Civic has a CVT, the Corolla has a CVT. Um, really, a large number of these vehicles are going towards CVTs. And what Kia is saying that they don't have a CVT, CVT they have an IVT, an intelligent variable transmission. Um, what Kia's doing that's a little bit different is they're not using a uh, a rubber band, and like it's a literal rubber band in some of these CVT gearboxes that um, 
basically, if you don't know how CVT gearbox works, works imagine two traffic cones that have a uh, belt that runs in between them, and that belt can move up and down various parts of that cone in order to make the gearing uh, higher or lower, depending on what you're doing. So in theory, your car is always in the right gear, no matter how much power you put down. The drawback of that, of course, is that when accelerating in a lot of CVTs, they will move the engine to the most optimal power position. Uh, so some cars will quote unquote drone, so they'll hang at like 3800 RPMs and and just go until you get to the car to the desired speed, and then it will drop the car into a really low uh, gear ratio uh, to for optimum fuel performance. What Hyundai's, do, or not Hyundai, uh, Kia's doing in this is they're using a metal band instead of a rubber band, which they're going to say uh, is a more robust system on those two cones. It's going to have better throttle response, which is always a problem with CVDs where you put, push the gas pedal down and it kind of lurches for a second, then it goes as it figures out what kind of ratio it needs to be in. They're also going to be doing the gear, quote-unquote, stepping on this, where they're going to be quote-unquote, gears that the car will shift to, um, but it can still do the thing that CVTs are known for that people hate. So we'll see in practice. You know, Hyundai and Kia have really been doing a lot of great work with CVT, well, not just with CVTs, but with just engineering in general over the past couple of years. So I'm not going to hold it against them. The marketplace seems to be going towards CVTs for these cars. Um, when done right, you know, Nissan does very good CVTs. Uh, it it can be done in a good way. So I'm interested to see how this new car works. But I also like the current Forte, and adding more to it is always a good thing. So good on you, Kia, for continuing to surprise us, even in the smallest of ways. And even though it's a car that kind of got swept under the rug for this year's Detroit Auto Show, uh, it's a very cool car, nevertheless. All right, forget the bullet Mustang for a moment. I think the car that I'm most pleased by at the 29 or 2018 uh, Detroit Auto Show thus far, at least in terms of day one, uh, is the Hyundai Veloster and the Veloster or Veloster, whatever they want us to call it. Um, Yes, as you've been hearing these episodes of the show, you're probably noticing an alarming trend is that I really like Hyundais, and it's kind of a new thing. Hyundai has really been knocking it out of the park in terms of design, uh, engineering, and execution uh, the past couple of versions of vehicles that they've been unveiling, and the Veloster is no exception. Um, it takes a lot of the cues from the Elantra Sport, uh, the hatchback version of the car, uh, in terms of the front fascia, the interior design. Uh, it's a car that really kind of turns the game around. Uh, where the previous Veloster was based on the Elantra, uh, it had a very aggressive face, it had an, you know, an aggressive interior, it had uh, the interesting look with the three-door design, uh, where the driver's side door is a full coupe door, and the passenger side has a smaller, more conventional door, and then a rear door for passengers to get in and out of. Um, this, you know, maintains that same trajectory. Um, it's still a fast, uh, or a sporty, uh, coupe-styled hatchback um, that, you know, has some practicality compromises in it. Um, you know, with the Elantra styling, at least in terms of the front of the car and on the interior, it makes it a car that seems like a halfway decent choice. So if you wanted something that looks a little more lively compared to the Elantra Sport, this seems to be a smart buy. Um, the Veloster is going to be offered in three separate trim levels. Uh, first of all is going to be the standard uh, version, which offers a 
two-liter four-cylinder, the corporate two-liter four-cylinder, 147-ish horsepower. Um, you can get a stick or a six-speed automatic. Um, you really can't go wrong there. It adds a little bit more power compared to the outgoing 1.6-liter version, uh, which is a much-needed improvement for the Veloster because the previous one was pretty pokey in its standard trim. Uh, the up-level version, of course, is the Veloster Turbo, um, which is already kind of currently offered. Uh, it's a continuation of that with the 1.6-liter turbo, making around 200 horsepower. Uh, it's got a manual transmission or a 7-speed dual-clutch gearbox, which is getting better, but it's still not great compared to the Volkswagen uh, dual-clutch gearboxes that are out there. But the exciting announcement, of course, is the Hyundai Veloster N. Uh, the N brand is their new performance arm that's going to be touching a lot of their vehicles. Uh, so the Hyundais themselves, and I'm not 100% sure if the Genesis models are included in that, uh, but over in Europe, uh, the i30, which we know is the Elantra Sport here in the U.S., or at least the Sport Wagon, whatever you want to call it, uh, that car has gotten a lot of positive press with its 200 and 70-ish horsepower uh, two-liter turbo engine, um, a really well-sorted suspension, a really well-done driving uh, or steering rack, um, just some great styling elements, some nice luxurious appointments that doesn't cost a whole lot of money compared to the Ford Focus RS or the uh, Honda Civic Type R. Um, this new, we're not going to get the Elantra version here in the U.S., but we're going to get the Veloster version, which takes basically what's in that other car and applies it to this. So you're going to get that stiffer suspension, the bigger wheels, the bigger brakes, um, the high-performance summer tires. You're going to get that more aggressive uh, red line trim on the outside and on the inside. Um, Hyundai's not saying what the pricing is on these cars. I imagine that they don't separate themselves too much from where the Elantra currently is at. So yeah, kind of price accordingly, um, but compared to where the current Veloster is. The Veloster N, however, I'm willing to bet it's going to be over, well over $30,000, um, but we'll see. I don't know. It's still a per relative performance bargain when you consider that, you know, Honda Civic Type R's and uh, Ford Focus RS's are, you know, ridiculously expensive. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. It's an exciting time to be a Hyundai fan. You know, they keep knocking these things out of the park. They're going to be making a name for themselves. And I really dig it. It's great. So good on you, Hyundai. It's nice to see you finally showing up and bringing the fight to the Japanese and the American brands once again. So last up is the weird show put on by BMW at the Detroit Auto Show where they kind of announced two vehicles that really don't mean a whole lot uh, to really... A lot of things. They've announced a refreshed version of the BMW i8, which is a car I absolutely love, and the new updates look great, and they sound great, and, you know, it's just making an already good car even better. So good on BMW for continuing to advance the i8 platform uh, in the face of the 911 and so many other vehicles. But then they did the X2, which I guess is an important vehicle launch in the notion that crossovers are the only thing that automakers seem to be able to sell anymore. Uh, the X2 is the coopy, swoopy, whatever version of the BMW X1, which of course is a front-wheel drive biased uh, crossover vehicle that, you know, is here. I don't know. I haven't seen too many BMW X1s out on the road, so I can't say 
that it's selling well. I can't say really anything about the BMW X1. Uh, it's got the corporate uh, two-liter turbo up front. It's got a you know the typical trick all-wheel drive system that BMW normally employs. Um, the main thing is just the exterior styling is a little more aggressive, a little more swoopy, a little more sporty, I guess. I don't know compared to the X1. Uh, BMW just really seems to be, I don't know, phoning it in as of late. And as much as they, you know, tell us to get excited about this new uh, twin-turbo all-wheel drive M5 that's going to, you know, save the M brand and, you know, the previous uh, or the updated versions of the BMW M4 and M3 have really kind of turned things around, it's just not an exciting time to be a BMW fan. They just, they seem to have just lost the ghost and... You know, they they sell on brand, and they make interesting-looking vehicles, and they've done some interesting engineering exercises, but they just don't have the, the, the effort to them that Mercedes seems to have with, you know, their engineering with the new engines and the transmissions and AMG doing what they're doing, or Audi with their seemingly endless ways to defy physics and, you know, change people's expectations for technology and design, BMW just is constantly playing catch-up, and it's really sad. And I think the X2 is kind of the, 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 the end of that road, at least of where we're at right now. So, yeah, I don't know. There's some cool design cues on the car. You know, I like how they move the BMW badges to the C pillars on the outside. I think that's kind of visually interesting. We'll see if that catches on with any other automaker. Um, yeah, I don't know. They showed it off in yellow. That's pretty ballsy. It's kind of this yellowish gold color. I don't know. I think that's cool. I hope that more automakers start offering more colors like that in their palettes um, instead of just silver, red, blue, and black. Um, but... It's a BMW X2. I mean, yeah, what are you going to do? But BMW, get your shit together. Like, it's time. It's time to start being an innovator once again. So hopefully, maybe some of the press on this thing will start turning some things around real soon. Alright guys, that just about wraps up the day one coverage of the Detroit Auto Show for 2018, the North American International Auto Show. Um, we missed a couple cars in this segment. Uh, we didn't talk about the Mercedes G-Wagon. Um, we didn't talk about the GACs, the Chinese automaker that's trying to enter the American market. So we'll cover those in the day two stuff. Um, we'll probably do a separate episode also about some of the concept car technology kind of what automakers seem to be highlighting going into uh, you know the future and then maybe talk about some of the cars that we didn't see at the auto show which kind of was a bit of a surprise uh, but anyway yeah it's a thing so uh, keep your ear on this RSS feed you're gonna see uh, the day zero stuff where I talk about the pickup truck announcements that happened before the Detroit Auto Show um, you'll obviously find this story here uh, and then the future episodes as well um, don't know if we're going to do a normal uh, Salvage Title podcast episode this week. We'll see how I'm feeling, how my voice holds up, where the news ends up going for the week. Uh, but yeah, and then I also owe you guys a Salvage Title Car Buyer's Guide episode. Not quite sure what we're going to focus in on, but I think pickup trucks are definitely going to be a worthy thing to look into, especially in light of all the announcements that came uh, this week. So with all that in mind, guys, keep your ears peeled, keep your eyes peeled. I'll be posting another episode, the day two coverage here, very soon. 
talk to you guys very soon. Have a great rest of the week. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Uh, stay cool, guys. It's car coverage time. Get excited. Chicago's just right around the corner. So we'll see you guys next time. Thank <laughs> you.